Hey, what's up, y'all? Today I'm here with a good friend that I've known since high school, Taylor Bond. Uh, he's fished for the USC bass fishing team and is one of the better anglers I know. And today we're just going to ask him, I guess, some of his techniques for the types of fishing he likes to do. Uh, Taylor, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Lenny? How are you? I'm good, man. How you been? Doing well. Awesome. Um, so starting off, let's talk about tournament fishing because I know... Did you fish a lot of tournaments, like a lot of spring tournaments, a lot of the FLW stuff with uh, USC? Yeah, I mean, we started off, um, you know, I mainly only fished my freshman and sophomore year due to, you know, academic reasons. But yeah. most of the FLW tournaments for the Southeast District, you know, the little Southeast Conference they got going on for college is during the springtime. So I got you. Most of them were, yeah. So when you were going, I'm, I'm assuming you went out a few weekends to or like or a weekend before the actual tournament to practice and get the feel of the lake, right? Yeah, I mean, pre-fishing is important in any kind of fishing you do, I believe. And, you know, me and my uh, my partner, we'd go out the weekend before and then, you know, drive back often really late at night for school and then go back, you know, on a Thursday for a Saturday tournament type deal. So it was, it was a lot of time on the road. I got you. Well, um... I know that confidence plays a huge role in how well anybody fishes. So if you're going to a new lake that you've never fished before, what's your go-to? Like, what's the first thing that you're going to throw out there and see you can get a bite on? Well, of course, everybody has their, their you know, their confidence baits that they throw. You know, on some lakes that doesn't really apply. Say if you're going to fish, you know, a deep, clear lake that's completely opposite of what I have all my confidence in down here. You know, yeah. shallow grass lakes. So a lot of times you have to throw confidence out of the window when that comes into a factor and just really go fishing. Yeah, and to put things into perspective to anyone who's listening to this, me and Taylor are both from Monk's Corner, and we do a lot of fishing in the Copa River, which is a really, really grassy river. It's a lot of punching, which we'll talk about later. And I've always, I've always had a ton of fun on trick worms out there, which is pretty much what I have all my confidence in to just get started. And I mean, I'm... I'm not really a tournament fisherman, so I don't have to think about it quite like Taylor does. You know, I go out there, and and I, Taylor does do this, obviously. He fishes for fun, but I don't ever really put money on the line. So my uh, bag of tricks doesn't have to be quite as big as his when it comes to figuring out fish. But um, in terms of just getting started in a new lake, new place, like walk me through your, th- like your thought process. Like, are you trying to cover a lot of water fast? Are you trying to look for something that you're familiar with? Like, what's your what do you usually go to? Well, first off, you know, time of year plays into a huge role, and you know, you do your your online homework is just as important as you know your on the water homework, I believe. So, you know, if you have a tournament anywhere really coming up, doing you know anywhere from Google Earth to old FLW, you know, BASS tournament events during that time of year to see how much weight it's going to take, you know, even FLW. Well, and Bass will tell you, you know, what was the winning bait was and whatnot like that. Uh, that's where, you, you know, you're, you're really want to gonna start off. And then the weather, you know, just like time of year, weather is just as crucial. And see how all that factors in. It's like one big equation factors into how you're going to approach, you know, say the first day. And a lot of times since, you know, we're nobody I know besides, you know, Patrick is fishing professionally. Patrick uh, Walters, Walters, Patrick Walters yeah. yeah, is fishing professionally, so no one has a lot of time to pre-fish yeah. beforehand. You know, I have yeah. a lot of time to pre-fish, so 
you're trying to maximize as much time as possible. You know, you might have half a day or a day to, to pre-fish. So covering water is extremely important. But say, I mean, it's January and, you know, it's not a grass lake. And I don't you might can catch them, you know, a bunch of different ways covering a lot of water. But a lot of times you're not going to be able to get that, say, reaction bite. I don't yeah. know if they're really lethargic. Yeah, that's where a drop shot comes into play. Yeah, I mean, a drop shot, jig, you know, a slower presentation. And, you know, you can cover water doing that, but, uh, you know, you skip a lot of fish, so you don't get a lot of bites, you yeah. know, and then they get really finicky during that time of year. But I definitely like to cover a lot of water. Yeah, man, I've, I I hate drop shots, which is so bad because, like, everyone up at Clemson loves them. And, I mean, it's such a good deep water fishing bait. But I just – it's like – dink after dink after dink if i have a choice between a drop shot and a jig i'm going jig nine out of ten times absolutely i mean especially tournament fishing you want you know you want the five biggest bites you can get and a lot of times a drop shot you will catch a big fish but you will catch a lot of you know smaller like yeah you, you got to weed through all the the little ones exactly and you know that's nice at times especially when you're not you know you're not on something pretty strong you know you got to pick up the little fairy wand and get it done <laughs> But I definitely, you know, I, I hate a fairy wand just as much as you do, so. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, they they really are your best option. And this goes back to the whole, like, tournament versus fun fishing thing. You know, if you're in a tournament, it doesn't matter what your favorite way to fish is. You, if you're chasing a check, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But, you know, just going out one afternoon, if if I know they're eating a drop shot, but I think I have a chance of catching one on top water, just one or two, I'm probably gonna be throwing top water just because I like it so much more. You know, it's just completely different perspectives. Yeah, who doesn't like a top water? Man? You know, that's, what, that's <laughs> yeah. I would I would take a, a top water bite over just about anything. Yeah. No, I I have tournament fish before, and I won my first tournament on nothing but top water, and that's probably one of the most fun days I ever had out on Lake Hartwell. Yeah, um, when they get on that, when they get keyed in on that top water deal, even like when they're really really finicky and they're tough to catch on any bait subsurface and you think they'd be eating say like a jerk bait or something like that yeah you could you can go right in behind yourself with a top water and just get them to absolutely yeah you know, just come up and commit to something that you never thought they would commit to and it's mind-blowing yeah and it's it's really cool in these uh these really deep herring lakes we have in south carolina because they'll chase the top water from like ridiculous like distances away from the actual bait you know so when it comes to what we were talking about a second ago, covering water. If they are on a topwater bite, you know, it's early in the morning, you're trying to pre-fish, find where they are, what's going on, and you're over a cane pile, I mean, you can draw fishing from a pretty long ways away. Oh, yeah, especially when it comes to, like, those cane pile fisheries, like you talked about with Hartwell and, you know, Murray, you yeah. know, kind of Savannah River Chain of Lakes, is real, Clark's Hill is another good one. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, cane piles are really, really tough. You know, I, I don't have that much experience with cane piles, but... You know, trying to find the deal is most important. Yeah. You can't really go out there and blind cast too much to them unless you know it's there. Yeah. You know, idling over it with your electronics and, you know, scanning for them is actually really tough because they're really skinny pieces of bamboo and they don't really show up on your depth finder too well. But, you know, like you said, them coming from so deep up to eat something crazy, you just got to think about the factors that play on that, you know, clarity of water, the wind on top. Yeah. You know, also those fish aren't on the bottom, you know, they're suspended in that cane. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the, the bait they're after, oftentimes, you know, blueback herring is just so, you know, migratory and nomadic that they just move around so much. So they're used to, you know, running and running and gunning for their food. You know, yeah. it's not going to walk right in their mouth. They got to go after and get it, which is, you know, awesome. I yeah. Think it's awesome. 
it it's it's definitely got uh, two sides to it too though because it's either on or it's not exactly. you know like it's you're not gonna go out there and you know have an okay day top water fishing you're either gonna catch one or none or blow it out the water yeah it's feast or famine for sure yeah um that's the cool thing about south carolina too is that we have such diverse fisheries like all across the state you know like talking about down here with all the grass and um trick worms and that kind of thing up into columbia and clemson and getting into all the deeper stuff with the herring lakes and i mean it, it's also cool hearing about like the pros who aren't really used to herring lakes coming down here and having a really hard time especially like the ones who are like you know, supposed to absolutely kill it. Yeah, the hammers, and you know, yeah. they just struggle. But you know, that's that's with any different kind of fishery. You know, it's a, it's a huge learning curve with it. And get back on topic where you said, you know, South Carolina is so diverse. Yeah, I mean, down here at the Cooper River, it's just, you know, a lot of current, shallow, hydrilla, milfoil everywhere type deal. Yeah. And you know, you move up a little bit to you know the Santee Cooper Lakes. It's kind of like a man-made lake, bunch of wood, not as much grass. There's still some grass you know, on the bank and whatnot, but really shallow and a bunch of stumps and wood and cypress trees. And then the Murray, you know, where Murray's got it all. Murray's just yeah, Murray just really does. I love Lake Murray. And then even further north, you get, you know, Clark's Hills, you know, sets up similar to Murray in a way. And then, you know, the Hartwell to Kiwis is completely different from... Jocassee. Jocassee. Yeah. I've never fished Jocassee, but I've been on Lake Jocassee a few times, and it's, it's a beautiful lake. It's pretty, but, for sure. Yeah, but, I mean, there's you, you have completely both ends of the spectrum. The only thing, you, you know, you're not... To the extremes of Okeechobee, and yeah. Then you don't have you know as many smallmouth. You have someone like Monticello, yeah, and whatnot. But we don't really have that many smallmouth down here in South Carolina to play with. Yeah, I want to go out to Monticello and catch smallmouth. That's never like been. Never yeah, been. No. I, I've never caught a smallmouth. Period. That's really? one of my bucket list fish. Yeah, it's a it's a fun fish to catch. And when they get really really big, the, the bigger they are, the, with any fish, the bigger they are, the cooler they look. I mean, yeah, like when you catch a four pound smallmouth, you just sit there and like, dang, it's a really cool yeah. fish. Well, the thing with like largemouth too, and I mean, there are super fat largemouth out there, but even the ones who are super fat look proportional. Like a smallmouth that's just got a massive gut on them does oh not Lord. look normal. You know, they call them footballs, but I don't think they're like foot- They're more like soccer balls. Yeah. It's just like, they're more round than oval. It's crazy. It is a cool fish. Well, um, going, from, uh, going from tournament fishing to just fun fishing, if you could pick any, like if I said, right now, do you want to go fish? Any way you want, which way would you want to go do it? Like how we caught them last the other weekend on the punching. Field. Yeah, I'm gonna go flip. A, I'm gonna go flip some grass somewhere. Go flip some fish up. That's a, that's the deal for me. I really like it. You know. Yeah. Just to, you know how I said a top water bite can't really beat it, but you know I would say punching is a, a really close second, if not tied to a top water bite. You know, you flip in a grass map. Yeah. And then you get your arm yanked off. I think that's amazing and just exciting and awesome i don't know i have so many words to describe that no it, it is cool but uh it, there are some serious frustrations with it too like the other weekend taylor took me out there because we were filming a little video for native and uh the the plan was to catch fish punching and that's actually like that's probably one of the only ways that i've never caught a bass is punching through grass to get them so I was I was pretty excited to learn how to do it, and Taylor did a great job showing me. But there are certain things that you really just can't do anything about when it comes down to it. You know, with a peg weight, you are going to blow the fish's mouth open sometimes. But, I mean, the feeling them underneath the grass match just absolutely hammer whatever you're throwing down there really is. It's like, 
in terms of excitement, it's almost like subsurface topwater. Yeah, man. You know, you flip in, you, you go for a half a mile, you know, on a rough day and just flipping and flipping and you start thinking about, you know, whatever is on your mind. You just get off of fishing <laughs> and you just get in this, this weird rhythm and motion and you just flip and flip and plunk him. And then all of a sudden, you know, you flip into a grass mat and the whole mat kind of like, you know, shakes yeah. and bulges up and then it's just it's dumb exciting and you know like you said it, them biting anything i mean you, i honestly believe you know color more, more over anything you know silhouette type deal i believe in silhouettes but yeah you could flip i think you can honestly flip you know if you took the dang hooks off of a freaking crankbait and flipped it in there they'd, yeah. they'd eat the sucker and then i don't even know man it's just well, it's it, like a pure reaction bite too. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You got an ounce and a half blowing through them right there, right, right by their face. You know, they're they're either gonna run away from it or slurp that joker up. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, um, when you're out there, and, you know, so much of the river looks the same. You know, how are you deciding which spots to pull over and fish? Like, what areas do you give more attention to? You know. Yeah, I, I got you, and you know. Since we're on the Cooper River, I'll talk about the Cooper River. You know, it's all tidal related and current plays a big deal. And so, like, when looking for a good a good flipping bank, you know, you go out, say, you know, you're fun fishing, doing whatever. You know, low tide, the tide will get low enough to where you can actually see wood. You know, old old stumps and old stobs and stick-ups and whatnot up mm-hmm. under the grass, you know, protruding out at dead low tide. You know, you can mark that, put that down in your memory bank uh, for later to come back and flip it. And then another point is, is I think uh, grass with a really good edge yeah. is is key. You know, like you want you don't want you don't want grass that for five for five feet kind of fades out. You know, right. you want it to yeah. come to a dead stop and the grass kind of stick over deeper water, make points and indentions, and you know you want you want like a it's kind of like ledge fishing yeah. for shallow water. You just want yeah. a straight drop. You know, so those fish can get up in there and tuck up. It's like a little home for them. They get up in it, and that's what I really look for. And it's just easier for them to look outside and see yeah, exactly. bait coming in, that kind of thing. Ambushing, you know, type of deal. And there's not grass in their face. You yeah. Know, they can hide up. It's kind of like a tree. They hide up under a tree and type deal, if you want to think about it that way. But, yeah, that's what I really look for, you know, when it comes to a good flipping bait and depth of water. Depth of water is really important. The deeper the water, the better, really. Okay. I mean, yeah, I this big weight's got to be good for something, if not getting them down to the bottom. Exactly, man. <laughs> and, and speaking about big weights, and you talked about blowing their fish's mouth out, and that's a hundred percent true, man. And then a lot of times the fish just don't get it. You know, it's 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 dropping down there. You know, to fish an ounce and a half going right side, it's got to be like a ninety mile an hour fastball going beside your head. You know, yeah. they're not, they're not going to get it all the time. Yeah. And I do think blowing the fish's mouth out's important, but I like to tie a snail knot on my hook. You you, you mess with a snail knot at all? I don't. I don't. I've never got on that train. Like I said, I don't really uh, do a whole lot of punching. Um, it's something that I wish I did do more. But going back to what you just asked me, what's the benefit of a snail knot compared to others? So, like when tying a snail knot, you know, anyone you know wondering what a snail knot is, could look it up. Any YouTube video you can find out there, you know, with a with someone touching a tie snail knot. It's uh, what it does is when fishing big weights like that, it really you got to think about it. When the fish, you know initially eats your your stuff it's got the bait the hook and the weight in its mouth and when you go to set the hook you got to think about it's like a train what's coming out of that fish's mouth first you got the weight coming out first you got you know the the plastic in between the weight and the hook Mm -hmm. and you got the hook getting him but when you start getting up in those like you know three-fourths ounce ounce and ounce and a quarter ounce and a half even two ounce weights that's a substantial 
mass coming out of that fish's mouth. And yeah. oftentimes, you know, you, you're you laying the wood to that fish. So I think it does blow the fish's mouth out when that weight's coming through. But that snell knot, what it does, how it actually how it is actually tied around the hook, it kicks the hook up into the roof of the fish's mouth or into, you know, sideways. All depends on how the fish has got it. But it yeah. kicks the hook out away from the weight. You know, it offsets it from the weight. So, okay. you know, so... I just think it's just the hookup ratio behind it's better. And then a lot of people don't. You know, it's 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 really what you have confidence in. And I definitely have confidence in a snail knot. I've, yeah, because I've, I've heard both sides. I've heard what you just said. And then Brandon uh, Palinuic. I hope I pronounced his last name right. Palinuic. Palinuic, yeah. Palinuic. I've heard him say that he doesn't like it because he feels like it kicks the hook out. But I, I really think it depends on the situation, you know. And I think the the key factor in whether or not it's going to work is if you're casting out there and you tie one it you might have a harder time but flipping where you do have that weight blowing the fish's mouth open and it's like more of a vertical presentation i can i mean i don't see how you could get away without one and i I don't i wouldn't want to i'm trying to do anything i can to increase my hookup ratio so if tying a different knot is going to do that i mean i'm all for that yeah and i mean like you know brandon pauling is obviously you know a great angler he does it for a living anybody does it for a living knows what they're talking about and when it goes back to you know hookup percentage and you know he might he might have had an experience where he lost a lot of fish on snail knot and experimented and was actually hooking up the fish better without a snail knot you know i've done the same experience or experiment on my own where I did not tie a snail knot, you know, tied a regular polymer or improved clinch, you know, whatever, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. Your, you know, your mom and pop knot, whatever you were taught growing up. You know, I was missing a lot of fish flipping in a tournament. It was extremely frustrating. And, you know, I went home and was pretty upset about, you know, I, I missed like 15 fish that day. And yeah, and that, that'll stick with you. That'll oh, keep 15, you up at 15 night. fish flipping is a lot of fish. Yeah. And then, you know, I went home and, you know, learned to snell knot. And then, I you know, I went back out and I did not miss a single fish. And it wasn't because I was setting the hook a different way. Same old, you know, loading them up, you know, just, you know, just putting that heavy pressure on the fish. Yeah. And it, it was stabbing them. It was actually really getting them really good. And I just never looked back, never stopped tying it. You know, I only, I only do tie it flipping. That's the only thing I do is flipping with braid. I haven't messed with it with fluorocarbon too much. I have actually messed with it, but I broke off, you know, a yeah. pretty good fish, and I got away from it on the fluorocarbon deal and stick with it with the braid. But well, I don't see why you would, I don't see why you would want to go down to fluorocarbon when, like, what what situation called for that? I wasn't getting any bites with braid. I got you. Yeah, so I, yeah. I knew they were in the mats, and I, I, you know, I could, I could hear the brim popping. I can hear the uh, fish blowing up on it. It was super clear water. Okay. So I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I went to a lighter weight, little bait, uh, some fluorocarbon. And I got bit. I really did. And I was actually pre-fishing for a little gig. We had a little tournament okay. deal we had. And I said, you know, I know you get more bites with fluorocarbon. So I went down a 20-pound test, messing with that. And I didn't, yeah. have, I didn't have a hook on my stuff either. I just had a little, you know, a little hitchhiker screw mm-hmm. so I could shake them off. That's and I smart. had so many bites on that. Lake. And what, what lake was this? This is on, this is on Cooper River. Okay. It, it was okay. so many bites. And it was like, you know, bites I knew I, knew I was not going to get if I had braid or hook on there. Yeah. You know, and then I, for the tournament, I rigged up one with 25-pound tests because I don't trust 20. Yep. You know, flipping a mat, the whole mat, you know, like it says, it bows uh-huh, up. Uh-huh. And, you know, the fish kind of rolls up on your stuff up under the mat. And I don't set it hard because I know I'm a fluorocarbon. I just lean into them, let the rod do the work. You know, I got them up under the mat, and then all of a sudden, pow, it just breaks off. And I lose the fish. And I put that rod down, pick up my braid, don't get as many bites 
not near as many bites. But you also don't break off. I don't. Near I as don't much. lose them exactly. And I have yeah. broke off on braid, but then that goes down to the fact, you know, did you tie a good knot? Yeah. You know, and with braid, was, that usually is the. Was case, it a mudfish you know? or was it a fish with teeth on it? Yeah. You, know, you never know, but. Yeah, man, that's that's my experience with the snell knot when it comes to flipping. Yeah, I feel like I'm one of the only people who goes out and fishes the river around here with fluorocarbon. Yeah. No, you'd be surprised. You know, really? fluorocarbon is expensive, and you know, it, you know, your average your average angler out there is not going to go spend you know twenty bucks on 150 yards. Oh of, shoot, I don't, you know, I don't know, but I'd get the ten dollar Invisalign. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the Berkeley Invisalign. Type yeah, stuff. you gotta get away from that. <laughs> don't hurt your feelings on that. At least go to some Cigar Redline. Not, I do. Know, I do like or anything like that. But no, no, no. I do like. Go, Sorry, but if you're going to yeah. go to like a cheaper fluorocarbon, you got to get to that red label. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. I've I fished it before. Um, but uh, let's see here. So in terms of grass, what what type of grass, like, what are you seeing out on the river? Like hydrilla, milfoil? Yeah, I mean, it all depends on time of year. You know, you have, you have different blooms and grass grows in different areas and it grows different ways. But, you know, prim, prim, or a lot of the time it's just hydrilla. You mm-hmm. know, it's... You got your your submergent grass, which is your hydrilla, so it grows from the bottom up. You know, it grows from the bottom up, and it kind of canopies at the top. And then you have your hyacinth, yeah. which is like a floating grass. Yeah. And it, it it grows from the top down. It doesn't really grow that far. It grows, you know, six eight inches down. And when those two grasses mix, when they get in together, and the milfoil too. Milfoil yeah. is another. Yeah. It's it's just like hydrilla. Um, when all you know, when you any type, anytime you have a grass mix, it's just like any other transition that those fish actually relate to. And it's my favorite. It's hyacinth and hydrilla. You know, you got the top, the mat on the top, and you got the grass on the bottom. Yeah. And when you got the hyacinth on top of the hydrilla, the hyacinth doesn't allow any sun to get to the hydrilla beneath it, so it creates you know a hole essentially. So yeah. it's, So you have a wall of hydrilla around this mat of hyacinth. It's literally the perfect spot for a fish to get into and, you know, make his home, camp out, eat whatever swims his way. And it's a super easy target because you can actually visually see the hyacinth on top of the water, you know, because it's a big mm-hmm. old green mat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big green mat and you could, you know, pick it out. You can run that pattern really easy because there's little little islands of hyacinth everywhere. So you yeah. can just run around and flip that. That's my favorite. But then also you get, you know, your milfoil and your hydrilla mix. And some people call it coontail, milfoil, same deal. But it's a it's a little form. It's they're similar in a lot of ways, but they're different in a lot of ways. And, you know, milfoil is a little more stringy, I would say. You know, and then but anyways, how it mixes together is a really good combination because they both they have similar characteristics of where they lay over and their root ball system, right? And where all the roots come together and whatnot. So it's kind of like a like a like an underwater tree, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's how that's how I break down the grass in the Cooper River, and that's similar in a lot of ways. In part, you know, around the south. And even some of the lakes in the middle of the country have the same deal going on. So. Yeah, and one of my favorite things about bass, just how cool I think they are, is that the patterns that you see in one type of fishing really can translate into other types of fishing. Like like big deep lakes, you know, when you talk about fishing points, well, when you're fishing the point of a grass mat, I saw you get a bunch of bites just looking at where it kind of jutted out a little bit, you know? And then... Going on even further, when you have different types of grass coming together, if you take that onto a really rocky lake, you know, when you have two different, you know, gravels, yeah, yeah two different gravel, gravels coming together, it, yeah. it doesn't, it almost is like, it doesn't matter what you're fishing, the patterns are the same, you just got to know what to look for and how it translates 
into the different types. I mean, you got to think about it. You got to think like a fish. The fish doesn't want to sit out there in the middle of nowhere. He wants to fish on, you know, something on the edge, something he can think he can, you know, he's trying to eat something that's different, something he can kind of hide and stalk his fish in. Just like, you know, any kind of point, even if the fish is suspended 20 feet, you know, up in the water column at 40 feet of water, he's in 20 feet, he's going to be sitting over a hump, over a point, Mm -hmm. you know, something different. Like even... Taking a step further, like let's say that fish reasoned like we do, you know, and we take a fish from the river, our home river, and his favorite place to be at that time of year is on points in Hydrilla, or uh, no, we'll we'll go, his favorite place to be is where two different grass mats meet together, you know, Yeah. and we picked him up and we threw him in Hartwell, you know, I could definitely see him going off to where two different gravels meet together. Absolutely, you know, fish are... It's about preference. Exactly, you know, you you might be from a different part of town than I am, but I guarantee you sleep in a bed just like... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Fish are fish and they're, they're, they're wired... I would say they have personalities in a way so where you'll find some fish that rather eat frogs and they're out there yeah. chasing chad. You know, you got yeah. fish that live shallow, fish that live deep, and fish that, you know, go in between and move up and down. They have personalities in a way, but they're all hardwired the same way. If you throw them in a certain condition, they're going to act a certain way. They're animals. They survive not because they're stupid, because they're super smart, and they, you know, they're excellent at changing to conditions and what's around them. Now, what do you think the biggest difference is? And I mean, this is a pretty pretty broad question i guess but what do you think the biggest difference is in a young bass versus a really mature old just monster bass aggression well i'll give you the simplistic answer no you get some really young bass that will just swim over your stuff and be like bump you man i'm not eating that yeah and then you get some really big bass that are just like they're just dumb they're they're just like they're ready like lord take me they're (laughs) they're ready but i think you know the difference between a smaller fish i'd say one you know, about, a, you know, a, I'd say a pound fish, you know, a pound yeah. and a half fish, smaller, you know, your average, your average size fish. And then let's say maybe one around here, a big one, like a really nice fish would probably be six plus. You know, yeah. that's, that's a good fish for anybody to catch. Yeah. We're not going to talk about, you know, the double digits and beyond because they're, they're, they're kind of a different class. Around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the six plus fish, you know, everybody wants to catch six pounder. And I would say, oh, man, that's a difficult question. And, um, you know, just the sheer number of smaller fish, you know, you know, there's so many more smaller and average size fish than there are those six pounders that you catch more of them. But I wouldn't say that they act differently. They sit on the same stuff. They get together with the same size fish. You know, they, they kind of do their own thing and mix in together. But behavior wise, I would say they act pretty similar unless they're really pressured. Yeah. I feel like if they're super, super pressured, those big fish, they're gone. They're non-existent. You know, yeah. they, they, they sense something, even if you don't have your, you know, I like to turn my electronics off, fish and shallow, and the, even the hum of the trolling motor. I mean, they're super skittish, super scared, but then you got a younger fish, it's more, a little more curious. I would call them curious, not more aggressive, because they'll come, they'll, you know, they'll check you out. They don't really yeah. know what you're doing when I'd say, I'd say curiosity is a great way to differentiate the two, and just like people, you know, um, a grown man's going to have a lot more sense than a seven-year-old kid because he's seen more. Exactly. You know? I mean, that, it just boils down to it. I mean, just like a deer would act. Yeah, know? yeah. So. But that's why jakes are so much easier to kill than gobblers. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's everything. It's not just fish. This that's, is, a, it, that's a fact of life. Right yeah. You, 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 you've been more time, on, you've seen more time on this earth and you're, you're a little more wiser to, to danger. That's how you live to be that old. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
you know, we did mention about how you were a collegiate angler. And I'm I'm assuming, are you going to fish tournaments this year or are you going to focus more on school? I think I'm going to focus on school, man. That's my time, a smart My move. time is gone and yeah. passed. It's a, it's a dime. You know, I'm trying to ready to settle down, get my get my stuff together. So yeah. I think collegiate fishing, how, how much fun it was, it, it just didn't open the doors that I thought it was going to open for me. So I'm definitely going to fish the tournaments, you know, the BFLs, you know, start getting that. When I'm more financially stable, but you know, as as far as college goes, I think I'm done fishing college. Well, that's fair. I mean, you're a senior, and going back to you wanting to try to figure everything out and get ready to work a job, that's that's understandable. But when you were fishing collegiately, what was the coolest lake that you fished? I would have to say uh, probably like Lake Seminole. Lake Seminole. Yeah, down in uh, it's like Bainbridge, Georgia is you know the boat landing we put out of, but it's. You know, it's, it's on the border of Georgia and Florida down there in the Panhandle. Okay. And just because it was literally 98% hydrilla. The whole lake's just covered in hydrilla. So that was your bread and butter, getting into the punching and that kind of thing? Well, we yeah. actually didn't catch him flipping there. We caught him on a trap. It was uh, it was earlier in the year. And we actually, we never had a good tournament down there. You know, we'd always, yeah. we'd catch him. We'd go down there two weeks before, the week before, and absolutely wreck him. And then, you know, typical fashion tournament rolls around and we just, you know, flatline. Don't catch them. Don't do jack crap in that tournament. Yeah. I mean, that's how it goes sometimes. But uh, on the other end, what was the most overrated lake you've ever fished? I'm just curious. Most overrated lake. Oh, Lord. I got to think about I've that. I've heard Gunnersville thrown out there a lot. Well, Gunnersville is a good lake in respect that, you know, people always catch them. There's always yeah. people catching them there. But I, as an overrated, you know, we never we never caught them in Gunnersville, just because I don't know, I, we just didn't catch them there. But there is, I would say, oh man, Kentucky Lake, Kentucky, Kentucky and Barkley Lake. Even though our best finish, we qualified for a national championship, was Kentucky and Barkley Lake. It's a great lake, but when we went there, the wind was gusting 52. It was, that's, yeah, it that's was, hard. You know, we made we, we ran all the way from Kentucky Lake into Barkley Lake and caught our fish in Barkley, and we left at 10.30 just to get back to, to weigh in on time. I mean, yeah. it was I just had a bad experience at that lake. Even though, you know, we, we, we weighed in 17 pounds day one and 14 day two, and, you know, we ended up qualifying to go to Red River. Speaking of Red River, that's a terrible place, too. Don't go to Red <laughs> River. That place sucks so bad. <laughs> and where is Red River? That's in Louisiana. Louisiana? Shre- yeah, Shreveport, Louisiana. Worst, worst, worst river, worst body of water. is is terrible, man. Let's hope we don't have anyone from Louisiana listening to this just getting fired up. Oh, man, I, you love, wrong. I love the red river <laughs> right here right now. Heck yeah. No, man, we just, I'm sure it's, you know, it's good at times, but I just, we just didn't know what to do down there. Yeah. We went down there for the national championship and just didn't figure anything out. And, you know, the weight it took the to wind down there was small. You know, I didn't get, I didn't think we were, you know, they were going to catch big fish, but, you know, the people that did good were fishing right out of the boat landing, right, right outside the boat landing on some rocks catching retreads. Yeah. We call them retreads. It's just release fish. Mm-hmm. So the fish that people brought in the day before, you know, it, fishing was just the slim, it was slim pickings down there to say the least. Yeah, I hear you. Well, um, let me ask you this. Uh, what do you think the worst quality an angler could have in is in tournaments? Oh, that's easy. Uh, being stubborn and fishing history. Yep. That's yeah. it. I mean that's that's if you if you know you're not gonna get bit on that bait, yeah. But you you're not you know you you're stuck with it. You're gonna get burnt all the time, hundred percent so, of the time. You're gonna get burnt on that bait. And if you go back, 
to the two trees, cypress trees that you caught them on five years ago. Yeah. I promise you that fish from five years ago is not going to be <laughs> sitting not, on that same yeah. tree. So, so I actually have a personal, almost embarrassing story about what you just said. Because I don't, I don't think that's like a you thing. I think that's a pretty commonly regarded oh, absolutely. thing yeah. with tournament anglers. So I was fishing a tournament on Lake Hartwell up in Clemson. Um, and me and my partner had figured out the week the week prior we fished every day and they were absolutely hammering top water on point so we were talking about earlier so we were feeling great because a we love to fish that way and b we were consistently catching them for days like that so i mean we were hyped up we're like we got this in the bag we have so many spots that we're gonna hit and we know that fish are holding here for every single one of them well the day before or the night before probably the biggest cold front i've probably one of the biggest cold fronts of my life happened and i was like all right, I'm worried, but I'm still going to stick to what I know. And we fished the entire day with top water on points and didn't catch a single one. And we were to the point where we were giving up. And this was this was when we still had a reasonable amount of time to come back. We just figured we kind of like mess around in the cove, uh, you know, troll in there, really stop to think and collect ourselves for a second. And I was sitting around a crankbait. And I started catching dinks shallow and like, I mean, I was figuring out these fish, for whatever reason, I pushed up really shallow, and I, I knew what color they were eating on the crankbait. I knew everything, and I was catching small ones, non-legal ones, or no no legal ones for the tournament. And we went to another cave, and the same thing was happening, and I stopped and looked at my front. I was like, we need to get back on this. The topwater bite's going to come back. And we went, and we skunked it. We didn't have a single keeper fish, and I... I remember that like vividly. It still kind of hurts to think yeah, about. I'm over here slapping my forehead. Just yeah, dude, I know. It's so, so rough, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, especially with like a pattern as fragile as, you know, catching fish on top of their own points. Yeah. You know, they might be there because the wind's blowing in on that point. You know, it's been blowing on that point for three days. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, tournament day, the wind's blowing out south. Now they're on the other point, on the other end of the lake. Yeah. You know, especially up at Hartwell, those fish just move around chasing bait. That's what they do for a living. That's how they make their living. Yeah. And then, especially with a cold front rolling in, even. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm just as I would say I'm just as stubborn as the next guy. I'm gonna go throw top water at yeah. six o'clock in the morning when it's thirty degrees outside <laughs> if I caught them on top water. And I'm gonna give it its due diligence, as I would call it. And then, you know, if it's not happening in thirty minutes and it just feels dead, I'm, I'm done. Bannon, get off that ship. It's sinking fast. And you know, you just go run and fish the conditions. You know, you hear that all the time, and all, all the pros talk about fishing the conditions, doing this, doing that, making adjustments. And, you know, when you don't have experience, and I'm not saying I have a lot of experience, it's, you know, jumping around doing that, whatnot, say it's like Brandon Polinick, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, fishing the conditions, I'd say that's, that's just as important as changing up a game plan. You cannot be, you know, a stick in the mud. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not going to work out for you 10 out of 10 times. Go do something different, something that you think might be going on, you know, just try it. You know, that's when you get in the pre-fishing mode. Yeah. Real quick, real fast, you know, hopscotch, go do your stuff, try to find a, you know, catch a couple of fish. And a lot of times, those would probably turn out to be your best days. Yeah. You know, the most fun days you have, I think, is when you figure out the fish that day. You're, you, you, you have no idea what's going on, and you go out, and you just feel, you know, more accomplished. It. You're like, hey, I went out there, and I beat this. You know, yeah. I beat this skunk. You know, I, I didn't zero. I didn't, you know, do whatever. I, you know, I caught fish. Yeah, no, exactly. And for the love of God, if, if you are being stubborn and working a pattern that isn't working out for you, and you do happen to, by chance, figure out what they're what they're actually eating, please listen to that so you don't end up like me on that tournament. Because that sucked. You know, going to bed that night thinking, like, I actually figured them out mid-tournament, but was so 
like wound up about the fact that they were eating something so good the day before that I couldn't move on from it. I, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that's hard to let go. But I mean, that that was like last year, you know, and I've, I've done a you've, lot of fishing since then. Right? Yeah. yeah, hey, I look, at, <laughs> I look at how I was last year and I think about, you know, my bad my bad days and think, well, you're so stupid. You know, yeah. I just want to go back in time and shake you. Yeah. You know, but you can't shake babies. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Well, so the next question I have is uh, going back to the punching. If you could say there's one thing that will increase your odds of catching a fish punching, what do you think it is? I mean, you can say the snail knot. Man, you really want to go punching again, don't you? You caught up on it. Heck yeah. I mean, that's when we go this weekend, that's what I'm hoping we'll get into. All right, we'll try to do it. Hopefully the sun's out. But I would say the best the best way to, like, say if you know, you're know you just starting out flipping, you are missing a substantial amount of fish. I would say, you know, say if you're right-handed and you switch your hands mid-flip, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You flip with your right hand, reel in your right hand, bait in your left, flip it into the grass, and then you switch from the reel to your right to the reel to your left and put your hand on the reel, I feel like that's a big no-no. I flip. I, I'm right-handed. I cash right-handed. Mm-hmm. I reel right-handed. But I've learned to flip with my left hand. So reel in my left hand, flipping. Yeah. So I never have to make that transition with the rod. And a lot of times, you know, those fish, especially when they're really aggressive or you hit one right on top of the head, yeah. during that transition, he's going to thunk it. Yeah. When he thunks it, you better be laying the wood to him. Yeah, Bail, fast, you know, yeah. When the reel clicked over, you know, you're not... I've had it to where, you know, I get in that lull, you know, and I start flipping my right hand, get lazy. Yeah. And, you know, I get lazy and I, I flip in there. And one bites it, and I got my, my daggum thumb on the spool. You right. Know, still on the spool. And I set the hook with my thumb on the spool. And then, of course, my thumb's not that strong. Yeah, so it the whole slips. thing, the whole yeah. rod just, the whole reel just blew up in my hand. Lost the fish. Had to cut the braid out. It was a bad deal. So definitely start flipping with your left hand. Get out there in the yard, you know, flip into a, uh, into a coffee cup, and any type yeah. of cup, anything really. Any, any target, just, you know, just flip. I, I would do that a lot as a kid. Flip with my left hand. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good way to scratch a itch when you can't get on the water, exactly. especially when you're little and you can't drive. Dude, it's perfect to do like in your room or something yeah. like that. Even if you have a short rod, just start flipping. Heck yeah. Well, then my next and final question is uh because you did do a whole lot of running around and you did have a pretty successful uh, collegiate angling career. What what advice do you have for any seniors in high school who are moving on to college and are thinking about getting involved in that stuff? Dude, do it. Absolutely 100%. Join a club at your Whatever college, if your college doesn't have a have a club, you know, try to start one. I started one at my high school. Yeah. You know, it's not that bad. And, you know, even if it's – you don't start fishing FLW tournaments right away, you know, you just get – you're starting to get it established. And, you know, maybe the kids down beneath you, you know, that are middle school now will have a, a platform to fish on. But if you're hesitant in any way, like, oh, man, I don't have a boat. Oh, man, you know, I just started fishing this year. Well, no, duh. Not everybody else has a boat either. Go and fish. You know, just join a club, meet somebody that might have a boat, even if they don't. Just go, you know, have fun. It's all about having fun. Yeah. You know, it's not It's not about, you know, being on stage, winning 100% of the times, man. Yeah. Everybody loves to fish. Don't get caught up in the hype. You know, it, it is what it is. But those kids, you know, they're really good, and they're good at what they do, and they've been doing it forever. You know, and they have that support, you know, maybe from home. Yeah, to go, to go get a fifty thousand dollar boat, you know, yeah, snap yeah. the finger. But you know, a lot of kids don't have that, and you know, the best thing I say is, one hundred percent, just do it. Yeah, just not go to steal, for not it. to steal from Nike or anything. <laughs> but just do it. No, they're in a different market than I. I'm not. I'm not too. Yeah, we're not. Though. We're not going to get on that topic. That's, not, that's <laughs> another podcast for another day. Um, 
Yeah, following up on that, I I was part of Clemson's bass fishing team, and I fished their fall tournaments, which were, you know, really small little fun tournaments against each other. Or we started a trail, you know, where we had other colleges come I in and fish that. against I us. Remember that. Yeah, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But I'm also a massive turkey hunter, so I did not fish any of the spring tournaments. And the reason I'm saying that is because you you don't have to like join a college club and think like man i gotta be the kevin van dam of this club you yeah know? And, you, you can't devote 100 percent of your time especially yeah. while you're in college you yeah know? just do what's fun for you you know if you want to if you want to bass fish in the fall and turkey hunt in the spring or whatever you do in the spring you know that's you can get away with that too there's different levels to it and a uh, taylor taylor's a great bass fisherman because his entire life i feel like everything in his head kind of goes back to bass fishing revolves around bass fishing so you know him fishing spring tournaments that's i don't think he could see himself doing anything else but yeah man to me i mean it a lot of my uh life experiences you know relates to fishing in a way just because that's how i was brought up but man it's it's a itch that i can't i can't completely scratch and I'll yeah probably, i'll do it for the rest of my life man i'm so addicted to it Heck yeah. I, I love to fish man. it's fun man i love it too it's it's easily one of my favorite things to do yeah but, um, all right, dude, this was awesome. Thank you yeah, so man. much for coming out here and talking, and hopefully whoever's listening learned some stuff. Yeah, man, to everybody out there trying to get in the bass fishing, you know, just go watch your YouTube videos, go get you a pole, and go hop some ponds. That's how everybody starts off in a pond. Yes, so sir. Just, just, you know, like, not steal from Nike again. Just do it. <laughs> just, just go do, do it. it. Well, thank uh, you, Andy, for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, for sure. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'm looking forward to fishing this Maybe weekend. Maybe this Sunday. Is that <laughs> hey, this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thank y'all for listening. Um, we hope you tune in to our next podcast.